thank you very much for joining us. Uh, this is Sartorial Stories, LCF's object-based podcast, in which we invite in people who work in or with fashion to bring in an item from their work or from their wardrobe, and we use that as the basis of the conversation. I'm joined here today with by Jane Lewis, the founder of GOAT. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, and kind of to get us started, it'd be great if the idea with the podcast is we have people from different uh, perspectives and practices so if you could just uh, describe your brand and your role within it that'd be a fantastic place to start. So I'm the creative director at GOAT, I am responsible for all output, all design, I still draw everything (laughs) uh, myself and from start to finish. Uh, We are a women's wear brand, top end but the theory behind the business is that we are trying to create wardrobe staples and have a functioning capsule wardrobe, but within that remit, trying to create modern classics. Mm-hmm. So pieces that are fluid and interchangeable, not transient, cornerstones of a wardrobe, mm-hmm. which, uh, whilst retaining a very strong handwriting all the way through. Gorgeous, brilliant. Um, and how did you get into fashion design and how did it go with it? So I started by um, changing a lot of my own clothes, mm. not by myself. This isn't okay. a sewing machine story. <laughs> I, I actually can't sew. So, But I altered a lot of clothes with the help of a tailor. And I think in, in that way, as a young, very young girl, in fact, mm. I used to go with my mother, mm. I understood the framework and the structure of clothing. And the needs that I required, because mm-hmm. I'm small, so uh, I got my eye in mm-hmm. quite early. I then went to work for a designer called Elspeth Gibson as her assistant. It, I'm not trained, so I was just a, a general assistant, but I think I had quite a good eye. Right. Um, and she allowed me to explore that and showed me quite a 360 perspective of the business because Mm. it was very small so everybody sort of did everything so I was terrified when asked to do anything and yet exhilarated also because it was it was a challenge Mm -hmm. but one that perhaps is rarely presented as a young girl and that's how I started so we worked in quite a defined niche at Aylesworth doing quite a lot of evening wear. Mm. It was very expensive at the time and very ornate and elaborate, very fine. And it wasn't a discipline that I had any exposure to previously. And then I thought within that, how does this woman, this mythical woman who's buying (laughs) these pieces, what does she wear in the day? Mm. Who is this person? What is this person's life? 360 Mm -hmm. and I think that's why I started go and that's how I started so very small uh at home with random pattern cutters (laughs) pieces of fabric that I bought from suppliers at inflated prices (laughs) you know in the beginning where you make many mistakes but Mm. you just start and that's literally how I started Mm. so very very small eight pieces I think it was in the beginning brilliant but I love that idea of the 360 and you know you're learning your practice you're learning your perspective on the job but you are kind of a lot of the time when I speak to designers they come in and they've had one clear vision or one fabric or something they're obsessed with and then they figure out the business side later on but I really like that idea that you always knew 
has this widened? Well, I think I've always been interested in in clothing. I'm still very interested in this kind of psychology of clothing um, and what it means to people. Uh, Not in too much of a heavy way, Mm. um, but just because... There's a lot of meaning attached to it and Mm. and the function of it. So there's the glory path of fashion. Mm -hmm. There's the business side of fashion. Mm. They're two very different disciplines. Mm. I think that being able to look at clothing as a business in that way, in that 360 way, has been very helpful and it's something I still very much adhere to. So it wasn't just a flight of fancy in the beginning. It's something that has stayed as a consistent thread all the way through Goat's journey. Yeah. So I still do it today. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I like that idea of the psychology really being viewed. So there's a, a loyalty or respect for your customer as well, rather than, you know, leading off into the fights fancy or something essentially unwearable. By I think it's clients. really important. Mm. I mean, I think you touch on that later, mm. but it's a very important part of, of a fashion business, I yeah. think. You know, to identify who you are, who you're trying to sell to, yeah. what do they need? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's... It's basic, mm. but it's it's crucial. Yeah, absolutely. It's everything. And then need provokes desire, and then you've got... Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. So that's kind of... You've spoken with passion there about your kind of customer base. Something mm-hmm. else that I found interesting when I was researching you in advance meeting you today um, was that I've seen bits where you've spoken about your manufacturers and the kind of importance of yes. your makers as mm-hmm. a part of that process. And it would be great to hear about uh, some of those people. And so when I started, I used local local when I say local I mean London based uh-huh. uh people um and you know obviously w- when I originally started I remember in fact I had one pattern cutter I'm gonna say London based I did mm. end up on a cattle grate in the middle <laughs> of the countryside uh once upon a time whilst trying to find some pattern cutter in the depths of the country and you know as you do as, as you do because you don't know any better um but Moving on from that, we we uh, used. I originally sourced fabric locally, mm-hmm. literally from um, Joel and Son. Mm. Like I mean, super local, mm. uh, because that's what was available to me. Um, so, that, so local in that respect. Factories and makers local because I had to go there myself, mm-hmm. and I had to maintain contact with them. Um, and today we have obviously a much broader production. Sure. Uh, spread Mm. I do have manufacturers overseas Mm. obviously but and it's a big but I do use a lot of factories in London where possible because I think there is an enormous talent here Mm. we have fantastic resources here the industry is shrinking locally but that's not to say that we don't have the capability we do however the downside is you often need to have a very strong cash flow in order to support these factories Mm. so it is very much again a business decision can you afford to take advantage of this talent there's pros and cons but where I can I I strongly like to support British factories because it's an industry worth saving and it would be an enormous pity if it were to just dwindle to nothing so we do manufacture here amazing as much as we can yeah and I can imagine that being a two-way street of, of loyalty as well if, if you is. build those relationships those, those absolutely people, those and, and you do find that you lean on one another because mm. you know they are looking forward to receiving yeah. good dockets we're delighted to pass those on yeah. we can be reactive mm. we can really monitor our quality control because mm. we can go and do go 
regularly, yeah. weekly, you know, more than once a week mm. to see our factories and to develop a very strong relationship. Yeah. Can you make this? What can you do? What do you think? Ask their expertise. Yeah. Um, and that's that's very satisfying and gratifying. Yeah. All round, it's was, a good thing to do. Yeah, that's fantastic. And that must in turn, you know, you spoke about your first role as an assistant mm-hmm. in Sema 360, but yeah. you keep saying we. So if your team are getting to see that as well, I think that's quite a rarity. I always know. say we, actually, because mm. I think to talk about this business for myself is selfish. Mm. I work as a group. I yeah. really use my team and depend on them and value them so much. Mm. And it's a collective you know, I may spearhead this business, but I have really fabulous people that work with me. Um, so I do say we because I think of it as a group effort. Yeah. Amazing. Um, so you've spoken about hunting out those. Well, we've got a brilliant team. We've got yeah. a good customer base yes. and we've got that network of manufacturers mm. and makers. Um, I'd be interested to hear how you research your collections or come up with your ideas. Well, I was just doing some, I was just doing some yeah. drawing this morning. <laughs> so because I'm not trained, mm-hmm. I do not have the discipline that I imagine other designers do who come out of a, a, a course. Okay. I do not start with one I very rarely start with one inspiration mm-hmm. uh, or one kind of theory. I don't really, I don't think like that. Mm-hmm. I take my inspiration continuously because there is no break in the cycle anymore. We're mm-hmm. producing four collections a year. So that right. luxury of sort of going off to research something <laughs> is is sort of... It's a myth at this point. It's a, it really is. You know, I have fabric appointments all the time. Right. I am always looking. I am always interested. So inspiration. I take inspiration from many areas. So it's boring, but what did we sell last season? Mm. What what has been a success? Yeah. Why has it been successful? Fabrics. I may see a fabric and think, this is amazing. I love it. Mm-hmm. You know, and that will be yeah. the thing that goes on my board, that yeah. piece. And I look at it and think, oh, I just, I love that. Mm-hmm. It may be, it, and it usually is for me, it's a feeling. Mm-hmm. Because you're in a cycle, you're, you're in a slipstream, for okay. want of a better yeah. word. We are working far in advance. So you are in a cycle and you're already accustomed to what has been. Mm-hmm. What is coming? So I think you're predisposed to know what is what is next. Sure. Uh, again, instinctual with, in a way. Yes, yeah. within the remit of this, of this brand, this brand's handwriting. Yeah. So I I selfishly do what I like, mm-hmm. um, but so far it served me well. Mm-hmm. So I'm inspired to answer your question by so many things, um, colours. You know, because we have a very complex colour palette here. Mm. Um, but colours and it's it's cyclical. And there's sometimes a bit of a second sense. Um, I, I look to vintage things mm-hmm. a lot. I'm, I really like clothes of old. Yeah. Uh, I love the, the craftsmanship. I like the detail, the, the, the finesse of them. So I do look at vintage yeah. Uh, clothing and prints mm-hmm. but I think you know in this day and age one's inspired by so many things yes. could be art yeah. uh, nature mm. I um, I like nature because I think nature's natural colour palette is mm. very inspiring mm. so sometimes when I think mm, and I feel like I'm a bit stuck mm-hmm. I, I look to that because yeah. I think 
yeah, there's kind of natural wonder in the world. Yeah, absolutely. And it's already found these cool, cool colour combinations that survive. Yes, so. <laughs> and, and weird, weird colours and strange, strange pairings. So mm. yeah, it's kind of everything. So yeah. I'm not a I'm not a traditional yeah. designer in that kind of mood board way. No, yeah, I think that's brilliant though because then the kind of eclectic mix that that sounds like it pulls together. I also really liked what you touched on there with the idea of you taking vintage clothes and looking mm. at them not just for the finished effect, but for the kind of the craftsmanship and the the technique. Oh, I or... love all the old fashioned techniques mm. and and some of those. You know, just just small things, the way zips are put in yeah. and interesting linings <laughs> and just finishing, you know, a lot of hand finishing. Mm. Just interesting. And I have, a, I'm always buying vintage things. Yeah. Uh, I have a, quite, a, I have quite an extensive, ar- extensive archive, actually, oh, which I dip into in and out of quite a lot. Uh, and I really enjoy buying vintage clothes. I, I really love it. That's so, you know, a little hobby. I yeah, <laughs> that's brilliant. I was kind of hoping or maybe anticipating that might be the case because, you know, when I, again, when I was researching you or when I read mm. publicity around great, there's always this clear idea of, of legacy mm-hmm. or, of you know, something not just being one season Absolutely. orientated. So yeah. can you imagine or is there a hope that your 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 own designs will wind up in a collection one day? And... Uh, well, that's yeah. a big that's a big wish. Right. I'd yeah. love that. That would be that would be beyond my dreams. I think it is about a legacy. It is about quality and it's about value. Mm. And I talk about value quite a lot. What is it? It's not necessarily a monetary value value mm. it's emotional value it's 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 quality it's um endurance and i say and i would you know the linchpin of this business style over fashion i always right. say that to be stylish is high is to be highly prized mm-hmm. i would choose to be stylish over fashionable any day of the mm-hmm. week not to say that i don't love fashion yeah i do but there's a reason why some classic pieces and vintage pieces endure. Yeah. Why is that? Mm. Because they are the best in class. They're the best of their yeah. ilk. They are. They have something about them that endures, mm. and you can look back on them and appreciate it yeah. for, for 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 what they you know yeah. appreciate items for what they are. Absolutely, there's a kind of design integrity. And absolutely yeah. absolutely and I think that's what we try to mm. do here uh, you know not every single piece can have that kind of gravitas yeah. obviously but I'd like to think that within the collection we've over the years we've built up lots of core pieces that mm. have become kind of cult favourites core classics you know why is that because mm. um, simplicity drives me mm. I like purity mm. and I think it's very hard to achieve I've said this again many times simplicity is 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 uncompromising mm. because there's no there's nothing to hide you know it's it's kind of out in the open there's mm. no pattern to to you know lead your eye away there's nothing to to distract you mm-hmm. um so we have a lot of pieces that are very simple mm-hmm. but within that very chic and very considered yeah yeah absolutely so i hope some pieces will stand the test of time yeah i'm sure they will um so from that idea of looking at an, an object from different perspectives, perhaps mm. we could move on now to, I asked you to bring in an item from your work or from your wardrobe. I know. So you're our first, uh, the first guest that's worn their piece, which mm. I'm quite chuffed about. So that's brilliant. Um, so could you please uh, say what your uh, what item you've chosen to bring in? I've chosen my gold hoop earrings, which are sig- my personal star signifier, I would say. I've only <laughs> ever worn hoops. I wear them every day. Amazing. I wear them even if I'm going to like a black tie thing. It's it's 
something that helps to define my style, I'd mm -hmm. say. Uh, even when I ask my children, what do you think defines me? It was a toss-up between a black crew neck, mm -hmm. actually, or these earrings, and I've chosen them because, to me, why do I wear them every day? What is it, when I look mm -hmm. at your question, what is it about them that makes me love them so much? Mm -hmm. Why are they such a part of my kind of makeup? Yeah. And I think it is literally because they are so simple mm. they are so pared down mm -hmm. there's nothing really to speak of <laughs> they are they are functional mm. they are literally i just slipped it out of my ear functional symmetrical mm. yeah cool. simple yeah they don't need much explaining yeah there's kind of and there's a core quality again which is what you're speaking about with your designs but i think you know they go they are universal they are <laughs> universal yeah they're decorative without being overwhelming. Yeah. They are complementary. They are discreet, which mm. is something that we believe in in this company. And that's why I like them so much, because yeah. they are everything and yet they are nothing. <laughs> so they're powerful and they are notice they're notable, mm. but actually without but but what but without bells and whistles. Yeah. They're very discreet. Mm. And that, and I wear them every single day. Yeah. With everything, <laughs> and it became part of everything that I that I wear. I will always have my hoops in. Yeah, always. Do they then become almost, um, you know, they have emotional significance? So yeah. are they a piece of armor or kind of a support system as well? I definitely have items of jewelry um, and items of clothing where it feels like okay, I'm gonna, it's a bit of a boost to wear these today. Yeah. I don't feel like they're a boost. I feel like they are just part of me. They mm -hmm. are just, they are my style signifier. I just don't. I, I don't wear makeup, yeah. but I wouldn't go out without my hoops. I would feel weird. Yeah. This is the one thing that you would... Yeah. That I think any of my friends, anyone who knows me, what does Jane have? Always hoops. Yeah. Always. <laughs> Even if I was wearing the biggest dress in the whole world, yeah. I'd still always have simple hoops because I really like that simplicity. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's quite nice to have a style signifier. Yeah, I definitely think that. Yeah. You're only, you spoke about the handwriting of your brand before mm. and perhaps use the handwriting of your style effectively. They are. Yeah. Because I'm quite a simple dresser, actually. I wear mm. quite a lot of black. I wear a lot of... Uh, crew necks you know everyone has something that they mm. fall back on um this is my comfort zone i'd mm. say but i like them because i think they're simply stylish yeah i was gonna say so again the idea that you're not you know so there's such a big trend at the moment for statement earrings and things and a hoop is a classic formation of that but you're already you were here before you're here now and you're continuing they're timeless to exactly. they're timeless they'll be and i think i'll wear them even when i'm an old lady yeah. <laughs> you know like i think they're there they have that kind of significance mm. to me and they there is that emphasis you're right right now on on uh statement jewelry etc mm. but for me this is my statement yeah and my statement is in its pure simplicity in yeah. their purity yeah that's gorgeous and um, so as a kind of final point on your object perhaps you've spoken mm. a lot about the kind of psychology of style and design do you remember is that ever been a conscious choice to have that kind of uh, link to the gold hoops and for them to be an everyday item or did it just gradually evolve that you're like this is do you know i think it just gradually evolved mm. I, when i had my ears pierced when i was <laughs> 15 i had gold hoops mm -hmm. small ones and then i had sort of similar to this not long after and I never changed them yeah and that's been it <laughs> because that's just that's just the way I am I mm. I just I like simplicity yeah and 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 that's I don't know from from day one mm. literally from day one 
Yeah, that's nice because there's clearly the way you've been speaking today. I've the main thing I've taken away is kind of your confidence. You've clearly got you've got an eye and a perspective, and there's almost an integrity to your own style, but to your own design. I really like the idea that you're. Like, I found what worked for me, and I stuck to it. Rather yes. than fashion is often about. Finding the form that fits and... Well, I think fashion and style are very different. Like Mm, I said, fashion is very fluid and very transient and that is most definitely following somebody else's Mm. lead and somebody else's suggestion. Whether or not that suits you is a different story altogether. It's not to say I don't like fashion, of course Mm. I do. But knowing when to opt in and opt out are different things. Style, on the other hand, is wholly individual. And it's irrelevant when I, what anyone else is doing because you maintain and develop mm. and cultivate one's own style mm. and it sort of matures mm-hmm. and I think as the, the older I've gotten uh, I am less very much less concerned with what everyone else is doing yeah and also in my business because it's a bit easy to be led astray but that's not my job my yeah. job is to present what I like yeah hopefully people will enjoy what I like but that's what I that's what I do so I'm more confident uh and I suppose no I don't really care what other people are wearing I I wear what makes me happy mm-hmm. I believe everyone should make wear what makes yeah. them happy because mm-hmm. if you are comfortable in your own skin and in your own style then you will look stylish yeah. and you will wear what you are wearing well. Mm. Yeah, that's so important, wear what you're wearing well. Yes, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> the motto of the day, I think. <laughs> that's yeah. brilliant. So that was all, that's all very much from um, kind of the personal drive mm-hmm. behind that importance of uh, feeling comfortable both in your own skin, your own clothes. I was interested from that to see... Um, Quite often when I'm interviewing designers, we'll talk about the satisfaction when you spot someone on the red carpet or in real life wearing one of your designs. Mm. For you, does it come from, if you see them, as you said, wearing it well, if you see someone in their equivalent of the gold hoops or, you know, let's say that they, you spot someone on the street wearing one of your jumpsuits and they've teamed it with a huge vintage belt or something. Is that a thrill for you or do you have a clear cut idea of how you want something to be worn? No, I don't, mm-hmm. because, again, like I said, I believe that GOAT, the purpose of GOAT is oftentimes to be the building block of somebody's wardrobe, mm-hmm. and I strongly advocate people wearing clothes in the way that makes them feel like the best version of themselves. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean they have to wear it the way I'm going to wear it. Mm-hmm. So if somebody wants to accessorise something, fantastic. Yeah. That means that we have provided them with that uh opportunity Mm. to dress up or dress down what they're wearing and I like to think that people wear goat I always say you know you wear goat goat doesn't wear you yeah so 20 people can wear goat trousers I'd like to think they'd all wear them 20 different ways (laughs) that's the strength of the brand Mm. because you can wear it differently you should wear it differently you should mix it with other things that's and it should be able to be updated mm. and uh, shaped by a current season. I myself wear my old clothes all the time mm. and I just change my shoes, yeah. change my sunglasses. <laughs> That's the key to good shopping and yeah. clever buying. Yeah. You know, buy quality and adapt it. And I would like to think that Goat is adaptable. Mm. If you want to wear it in a simple way, do so. Mm. If you want to accessorise it, excellent Mm, you know no two women are the same there is no one way to wear a dress it's an impossible uh ideology it's it is literally impossible how is that how can that be Mm. you know everybody has different body issues different 
different bodies. I yeah. mean, you know, and <laughs> also different lives. Mm. You know, because y you have to wear clothes that are suitable for you, suitable fit for purpose, mm. for want of a better phrase. Yeah. So I would be thrilled if I saw somebody wearing something in their own way. I'd be delighted to be part of that person's story. Yeah, absolutely. And I uh, like for that you've both said the kind of practicality, adaptability, and like the longevity of the yes. design. So the integration. So maybe it's repeat wears that you're hoping for. If you keep spotting someone, you know, let's say you spotted someone multiple times, then that's the joy, I suppose. Well, I'd like to think, well, like I've said, clever yeah. shopping, you wear Just something more than once. I don't want somebody to wear it once no. and be like, I can't wear that again. Yeah. That's not what I'm aiming for. Yeah. I want someone to be like, mm, I love those trousers and I'm going to wear them many ways and I will update it. Mm. I will update these trousers with my new top. Yeah. It might not be for me, it might be for somebody else, sure. but I'm happy to do that. We have big enough collection that people mm. can can dip in and dip yeah. out, take separates or just take a key dress yeah. or a key item, you know, uh, and wear it as they wish. Yeah. That's yeah, that's really interesting. Cause, um, I wondered with that in mind and that kind of future focus, it could, maybe can be might be tricky when uh, you get a lot of press coverage that'll be focused on particular wearers or someone yeah. wearing something by you to an event, and mm -hmm. that's almost focused on a single wear and something being a status item. Um, yeah. But then I I think that again you've got clear integrity because like a company quote accompanying quote from you is normally focused around repeat wear, this will be fine, this is going to last. Do you find that a difficult um, message to convey in the press, that kind of balance? Because I imagine a lot of um, press is focused on, really on fast fashion. No, I haven't found that because so far the press have been very supportive and very much on board with GOAT. Uh, since its inception, actually, we've been very lucky. I don't feel that we are thrown in the mix with fast fashion because mm. that's not what we do. Yeah. Um, it's a different language. It, it is. And I think it's about, like you say, integrity and style mm -hmm. and longevity and flexibility and endurance and independence. Mm. Uh, I touched on the philosophy of clothing. When somebody presents something in the press one way, mm. that is somebody wearing one item of clothing for one specific event in one day of that person's life. Yeah. I would like to think, and I also know, that people may... We dress so many different kinds of people, mm. which I'm really proud of. Mm. We may be dressing somebody for the most important interview uh, for, for the job that they're trying mm. to get. Somebody's civil wedding ceremony, a television presenter... Uh, a red carpet event. Mm. These are moments in somebody's life. Mm -hmm. It's not something that defines you. It's part of your story. Yeah. And if clothes, if part, if if one item of our clothing can be part of that story, that's okay. Mm. It doesn't define that dress. Yeah. That's just a a, a snapshot of somebody yeah. else's life. It becomes a visual signifier in their story. Yes, but it doesn't define pattern. that item. Mm. I don't think because yeah. I think our items, our our garments, are more versatile and mm. more broad. So I don't feel that we are pigeonholed in that way, um, because we and also because we dress such a diverse group of women. Mm. I don't think we. I I think that's. I really do think that's the inherent strength of the brand. Yeah, absolutely. Um. Then perhaps as a final uh, question, um, we've spoken a lot about your perspective and also about that drive to satisfy and and kind of link to the lives of your customers. Essentially, mm -hmm. um, I was interested to know. There's a lot of narrative and it's almost a, a trend at the moment to focus on um, brands that are led by or founded by women. Mm. Um, <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. I feel like it's, it's a okay. time-worn question, no, no, but it'd be sure. interesting to hear no, your perspective on that mm. and whether you think that's 
basically whether you think that's important um, and whether you would agree that we need more brands headed up by women. I think it's a really interesting time for women in business and women in the world generally. Mm. As it happens, I head up an all-female team, Mm. uh, as it happens, and a lot of working mums and varying age groups. We're quite diverse here, which Mm -hmm. I'm really... That's a really lovely uh, aspect of this company. Mm -hmm. I'm not an out-and-out feminist, particularly, Mm -hmm. but I'm all for female success and... I think in fashion there's a lot of very successful women heading up companies, but I don't think it's just now. I think mm. if you look back, you know, Coco Chanel, yeah. you know, uh, I mean, my goodness, yeah. sort of, you know, founding yeah. founding member. But if you go back into the kind of, you know, the passage of time, mm. there's been so many very strong yeah. female uh, fashion figureheads. It's not just a male-dominated world at all. Mm. So I actually think it's kind of even Stevens. Mm. I think it's just a very, a very current and very hot topic at the moment. But actually, I think in fashion, I believe that women have had a very significant footprint mm-hmm. historically, and I don't, I don't feel that's going to change yeah. in the future. I think it's just a kind of an established tradition. Actually, yeah. women making clothes for women. Who yeah. understands women's needs better than a woman? <laughs> you know, absolutely. Not not to say that men can't do it too. Yeah, they can. But I don't think it's just a new phenomenon. Not no. at all. Absolutely, it's always been such a huge. That's something I find from my perspective as a fashion creator. I always find I'm hunting out the stories of women who've worked in fashion, um, and there's just this kind of hidden network. Well, it's not as you say, it's not hidden, but it's not a respected network. I would say generally, of um, it being a huge employment area for women historically. So. Do you, been, do you really? I think a lot of the time, um, and sometimes it can be, uh, it's more about the presentation. So my personal um, specialism is underwear and looking at the history okay. of underwear. And a lot of the time women who were corset makers who worked in, or worked in lingerie, they define themselves in the senses of things like engineers and to try or inventors oh, to really? try and give some more gravitas to what they were doing. Um, and I think it's interesting now because we're having a moment where it's like, actually fashion is a huge business and yes, it is. X number of uh, companies or X number of employees are women and uh, applying mm. their skills and earning good salaries. And that can only be a good Well, thing. I think women have been historically pioneers <laughs> yeah, exactly. in, in the field of fashion. Um, I, I think there's an enormous legacy mm. and, you know, female icons. I mean, I think, you know, not that that is what this is about yeah, today, but sure. I, I think that there is a very, very strong and historic lineage mm. of, of very, very successful and iconic women in, in the fashion business. And I just think that now the light is shining on it because it's, you know, so kind of in the uh, arena now that we live in. Everybody's so focused on it, but I don't think it's... I, I think there's, you know, I, like I say, I employ all women. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. It helps to feed that personal perspective. So, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really, really interesting, and I felt like we covered a lot. So thank you very much, Jane, for joining us. Okay. And I look forward to seeing what happens uh, with the legacy of your pieces and of goat. <laughs>